Support for Healthcare Americana comes from Freedom HealthWorks. With Freedom HealthWorks, physicians, employers, and patients can thrive in direct care. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com to start your journey into direct care today. From Freedom HealthWorks, it's Healthcare Americana, a show about innovators, idealists, and pioneers in healthcare. These are their stories. I'm Christopher Habig, and on today's show, how Sean and Janet Needham took their local pharmacy and turned it into one of the area's first all-cash pharmacies. Sean Needham and his wife, Janet, are a dynamic duo, working together since the late 90s in their business, Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy. On first glance, this is a success story for an independent compounding pharmacy. But when taking a deeper look, there's something unique happening. Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy hasn't accepted health insurance since 2002. This is what people forget in healthcare. Just because you're busy, just because you have a lot of staff, just because you're doing a lot of work, doesn't mean you're making money. Sean, what makes your pharmacy and your approach so different? Well, I think you just said it actually, um, not accepting health insurance. Um, I don't know the actual numbers, but I'm sure it's less than, you know, 5% of pharmacies that don't accept health insurance. And we, we get it all the time when, you know, we talk to other pharmacists or other pharmacies and they're like, well, what do you mean you don't accept insurance? How do you get paid? It's like, well, cash, check, credit card, you <laughs> know, which is wallet and see what's right. It's a novel concept in healthcare anymore. Um, as you know, from being in the industry, you know, people pay for their services. So that's why it is so rare and so unique. And if you see what is going on now in healthcare, there's a lot of doctors and clinics and the like that are now going towards a cash model because they know the traditional health insurance model is just not working. It's probably not the best thing for patients. Um, and it's definitely makes things way more expensive. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about what a compounding pharmacy is or what it does. So we are a compounding pharmacy and essentially what that is, is we customize our medications. So we make up medications from scratch, from the raw chemicals. Um, I like to say that as a compounding pharmacist, we are the we do what traditional pharmacists used to do, you know, 70, 80 plus years ago is when the drug manufacturers largely took over the pharmacy industry. And before that, um, and thousands of years ago, um, what a pharmacy, what a pharmacist did was, you know, more of an apothecary. They would take um, individual ingredients on a prescription from a doctor and they would mix it up into a finalized dosage form for an individual patient. And that's just what we're doing. Uh, I believe that we are the that compounding is the past, present, and future of pharmacy. Um, and it's just so nice to do customized, individual, personalized care with patients. Um, it's super rewarding. Now, that personalized, customized aspect of working with patients, uh, why take this approach? Uh, when most people think about pharmacies, they think about whatever chains down the road. Why this approach and why have you, why have you been so successful? Well. I think the future of many things is, is, is personal. And I think when, you know, years ago in healthcare, I think healthcare used to be personal, but one thing that we've done into, we've done now, I think partly because of all the, the, uh, the big insurance stuff that's taken over healthcare is that there's what's, you know, individual physicians, individual pharmacists, they don't get to take care of a patient. 
they're told how to do it by by an insurance company. And you know, I think you may be familiar with this with what's called the standard of care. Well, standard of care, um, you know, how to treat you know thousands of different patients doesn't mean that that's how one individual patient needs to be needs to be taken care of. And my wife likes to say that you know standard of care doesn't mean quality of care. So that's why we stepped outside of that realm and we like to treat an individual patient. Now you've been doing this for a while. So take us back to when you first got started. Um, like I mentioned before, you started uh, the pharmacy with your wife back in the late 90s. How did this come about? Where did this idea come from? Yeah, well, my wife was working for um, a local independent pharmacy and I was working at the at, at a hospital pharmacy in, in the inpatient realm. So I was working with a lot of individual um, physicians and doctors and got to build a relationship with them. And my wife was, you know, had got to build a relationship with many patients. There came an opportunity to come around that, you know, we had an opportunity to to build our own pharmacy or open our own pharmacy. And we decided to take advantage of it. I, I, I talked to some of my colleagues and I said, hey, you know, is there still a way that you can make a living at an independent pharmacy? And one of the things that they said is they said, um, are you, is anybody in your area compounding? I'm like, I didn't even know much about it. Honestly, I, you know, I took a class in pharmacy school and it's an interesting story because in pharmacy school, when I took that class, they said, Oh yeah, we're thinking about canceling this class. Nobody compounds anymore. <laughs> and, and now the interesting, the interesting um, story is, is that I'm the, um, an assistant professor at the University of Washington, and I teach the advanced compounding course now. So it's kind of come full circle for me. Um, and it is an elective, and I think it should be an elective because not everybody is going to have the opportunity to to do what we do. But um, I think there's a big, big future in it. So, you know, we opened up in 1998, and we were a full-service pharmacy. You know, we, we build all the insurance. We filled regular prescriptions. And we did a little bit of compounding, you know, that took some time to grow. And we also had medical equipment. We sold medical equipment. We, we were a full service pharmacy. And then in 1999, I was doing a quick audit on a prescription. At the time, there was a, a pharmacy benefit manager, also known as PBMs. Um, they've been in the news a lot lately. Mm-hmm. There was one called PCS, and PCS stands for Prescription Card Services. And I did a reimbursement. I did a little quick, uh, quick audit to see what we were getting paid. And we were getting paid like 50 cents over our cost of the drug. That didn't include the vial. That didn't include the label. That didn't include my time, the light bill, none of that. 50 cents over my cost. Obviously, I was losing money. Now, in healthcare, what some people would say, and this is what many of my colleagues tried to no avail, is that, well, you got to make it up on volume. The only way you can do it is make it up on volume. But you know what? I mean, Econ 101 is if you lose money on a transaction, the more of those transactions you do, the more money you lose. Right. There has to be some <laughs> type of margin, a healthy margin for your business right. to be able to survive. And then right. you add volume. That's the right. point of it, Right. Correct. Correct. So um, I realized right away that no matter how many, how much volume of that prescription I did, there was no way I was going to make any money. So that was the first insurance 
insurance company that I turned down, which it really wasn't an insurance company. It was a PBM. But in pharmacy, we link PBMs really with insurance companies because that's they're, they're a middleman. They're a third party. They're involved between us and the patient. Um, so that's what I call them. So that was the first one we turned down. And then we could see right away that, you know, the other insurances weren't much better. So we were kind of just slowly whittling away until 2002, we actually said no to our state Medicaid program. Mm -hmm. And we were one of seven pharmacies in the state that said no. Yeah, one of seven pharmacies in the state out of 1,400 that said no to this program because they were, they were decreasing the reimbursement by 25%. So we finally said, no more. We're not going to take that. So that's when we became cash only in 2002 is when our, that was the last insurance our pharmacy billed. Now, here's the interesting thing is we build insurance most of that year and we were very busy. Um, it was the busiest gross sales year we ever had, even to this date. And we lost money. Wow. Um, yeah. So just because this is what people forget in healthcare is that just because you're busy or just because you have a lot of staff or just because you're doing a lot of work doesn't mean you're making money. Let me ask you this. So approaching this from the other side, somebody listening might say, well, okay, that PBM was actually doing its job and saving me money. You know, maybe the pharmacy doesn't make any money, but What's your response when you hear something like that of, oh, isn't insurance and these PBMs supposed to be saving my company money? Aren't they just doing their job at this point? Well, I got to tell you that I don't know the details about the PBMs anymore. And I don't even, I, I can't say I knew the details in 2002. But I will tell you this is that the PBMs have nothing to do with taking care of the patient. They have nothing to do with saving anybody money besides themselves. They are in the business to make a profit. And I'm a capitalist. Don't get me wrong. I'm a capitalist. I've got no problem with people making money. But when they make huge dollars on the back of healthcare providers, i.e. pharmacists, that's where I have a problem. Now, I mean, it must work for most of them because you see a lot of pharmacists complain about about, um, reimbursement from PBMs and how PBMs take advantage of them in so many ways but most pharmacists don't have the guts to say no and say, you know what, I'm done with them. So I don't blame the PBMs for doing it because um, pharmacists and healthcare providers, if you look at um, just the whole insurance model, they do this and they take profits out of the back of healthcare providers because healthcare providers have let them do it. Until healthcare providers tell them no and say, I've had enough, it's never going to stop. Perfect example, in 2002, when we said no to our state Medicaid, um, you know, we were, you know, I don't know what those numbers are, statistically speaking, but seven out of 1,400 said no in the state. Well, guess what happened two years later when the, when the budget cycle came up again? They decreased reimbursement again. And those same pharmacists that said they were going to say no were still whining and crying and saying, yeah, you decreased this reimbursement again. I'm not going to take care of this, um, of these, this set, set of patients. I'm going to say no. Guess what? They didn't. And I don't feel sorry for them anymore. I used to feel sorry for them, but until they stand up for themselves and say no, it's going to continue to happen. And in the words of a great doctor who started the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, Keith Smith, he said, 
when he was under those under some of those insurance plans like Medicare and Medicaid, he felt like an accessory to the crime. And you know what? I'm starting to use that term more because right. I realized that when I was under those programs, I was an accessory to the crime. And I think that healthcare providers that keep playing in that model is an accessory to the crime. That's a very powerful statement indeed. So want to take a take a step back there. So when you're going through college, you basically are going into an area of focus that the university was saying, hey, we're not going to sure we're going to offer this class anymore. And now you're teaching this compounding class. And I think you answered this next question already. So as you've been building your business, you've been educating the next tier of pharmacists coming along. Do you ever see yourself going back to that old third-party model now that you have a taste of these past, oh, 18 or so years since, since 2002? Never, never will I do that model again. I will never build a third-party insurance ever again. It puts a third party between the doctor, the patient relationship, the doctor-patient pharmacist relationship, and it is not equal good care. When you look at what that does, you actually end up going after billing codes and going after diagnosis codes so you can build the insurance and check it off the box Mm-hmm. Instead of really taking care of what the patient's needs are, you're going after something that the insurance company asks you to do. Right. Um, so no, I can never look at that again. My wife and I are thriving now. And let me just tell you what I believe thriving is, is financially we do great. Thriving to me is that we are liberated. We are liberated from those PBMs, from those third parties. We get to take care of the patient the way we want to take care of the patient along with a prescriber, doctor. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. It is very, very professionally rewarding. I see value in that because patients come to us because they like our service. They like our knowledge and at a decent price. And when you have a third party involved, most of the time the people go to a certain, when they have an insurance, when they go to a certain doctor, they go to a certain pharmacist, they go to a certain clinic, they're going there because the insurance told them that's who their preferred provider is. And that is not very professionally rewarding. I can't imagine being in that situation where, great, the only reason you're coming to me is because your insurance company told you to. That's not very rewarding to me. No, you mentioned a couple of big things I always like to highlight there that when you're talking about insurance codes, we always joke within Freedom Health Works, it's kind of a sad joke, really more gallows humor, that there is no ICD code, CPT code for curing somebody, for healing a patient. There's only codes and billing. You only get paid by keeping this person ill and keeping them in the system. You touched upon briefly upon price. We talked about PBMs and those programs um, a few minutes ago, but I'm curious to know, when you stopped taking insurance, stopped taking health insurance from third-party payers, what kind of pressure, what kind of movement did that have on the prices that you were able to charge? So let me just, I got to go into that a little bit in detail. So realize that one of the things is, is that there was still, when we stopped billing insurance in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was still a large cash prescription market. And that market was the Medicare patients because Medicare Part D did not come into play until I think 2006, 2007-ish. And so by the time Medicare Part D came into play, which we weren't in the insurance market anymore then, we were already out completely of the insurance market. We were already billing cash. So, so realize that 
in the 90s and before that, Medicare did not cover prescriptions, okay? So the cost of prescriptions was a lot less because drug companies and pharmacies had to be more competitive with their pricing because the average person was not going to pay $500 a month for a prescription out of pocket. So, you know, back then the price was a lot less. And the reason why is because there was no Medicare, Medicare covering prescriptions yet. Speaking of pricing then, so our pricing didn't change a lot right then because there was still a large cash market. So, um, pharma and pharmacies still had to be competitive. Now, what I will say is that what we do in our pharmacy, we don't do a lot of regular type um, prescriptions. So you're not comparing apples to oranges necessarily because we do a lot of custom stuff, the compounding stuff. So it is a little bit different that you can't just compare an apple to an orange as you could at a chain store that's dispensing you know, an XYZ prescription. That being said, our prices are still a lot less than what your average pharmacy would be charging for a regular prescription. So when Medicare Part D came into play in the mid-2000s, the next year, the price of prescription drugs went up 19%. Not a surprise. Um, I talk about this in my book. Um, my book is called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And it talks about some of these pricing and what has driven some of the high costs of healthcare. So whereas our average price of a prescription has really stayed pretty flat, in fact, there's some things that have went down, so nowadays, the average price of a prescription for a month's supply at a regular pharmacy in the United States is over $500 for a month's supply of one prescription, whereas our average price of a prescription for a three-month supply is like $98. So you're talking wow. one, yeah, you're talking wow. one-fifteenth the price. Now, why is that? Well, because our individual customers, our individual patients they're the ones paying the bill, not a third party. So we have to be more price competitive um, because, you know, it's not a third party paying the bill. So it's pretty simple econ, really. Yeah. And that is not an insignificant amount of savings right there. You get three times longer for 20% of the price. I mean, that's, that's a no-brainer win for any patient out there that needs uh, some medication to help them treat or eventually get better. That is it, it just astounding. And I'm kind of sitting here and my jaw, I think, hit the floor when you said that. So I appreciate you sharing that. Sharing yeah. That and nothing I just want to, I just want to touch on is, you know, most of what we do is customized prescriptions. So somebody could argue that, you know, you can't compare this to a regular prescription, but I will tell you this, I do know, and um, I'm working with a guy back in the Midwest that's opening up a cash only pharmacy and he is going to focus on regular prescriptions. So not, not necessarily compounding. I don't know if he's doing any compounding actually. And basically what he's going to do is he's going to sell mostly generic medication at a very, very reduced price. So you're talking 10 to 15 bucks for a three month supply. Whereas you go to your regular pharmacy that bills insurance and you tell them, well, you know, I want to get this medication. And the first thing they say is, well, it's $105. Oh, you don't have insurance? Okay. Oh, if you don't have insurance, then all of a sudden the price is $15, you know, or some crazy thing. So you can just see how, you know, healthcare providers have really become accessories to the crime when they bill these absorbent amounts to these insurance companies. And, and then patients without insurance really get it stuck to them. And, and patients with insurance get it, get it stuck to them because really in reality, for most of those common 
everyday non big claim type stuff. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the words, you know, catastrophic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, health insurance used to be catastrophic stuff for a lot of the doctor's visits for your eye stuff, your pharmacy stuff, you know, you are better off in my opinion, many times paying cash for it instead of running it through your insurance because they automatically charge more because you run it through your insurance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, Sean, you're very active, very vocal about your principles uh, with your business and with your personal principles. And um, you mentioned your book, but you also host a radio show. So what's your experience been? How do people respond to your message and what you have to say on a weekly basis and then through your book and written form? Yeah. So our radio show is Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. And we talk about everything healthcare. So we don't just talk about some of these issues with pricing and the cost of healthcare. We decided to focus our, you mentioned earlier that there is no diagnosis code for healing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you look at our sick care model in healthcare, I mean, that's all we do is we chase these codes. And, you know, I know this, this sounds horrible to some people, including in the healthcare industry. Um, when I say this, but, you know, let's face it, let's take diabetes, for instance. Do you think that your average doctor, your average clinic that's really, really being an accessory to the crime with somebody that has type 2 diabetes, let's say, and they're on Medicare, do you really think they want that person to, to not have diabetes anymore? They prescribe another medication. They know what, how often the insurance company will let them come in to do a certain procedure, whether it be monthly whether it be every six months and, you know, they, they know those, they chase those diagnosis codes when in reality, let's just say it. Um, and I talk about this on my, my very first episode of, of health solutions. You know, diabetes is a diet and lifestyle related issue. I get it. I'm a pharmacist. So people don't have to correct me that type one diabetes is different. I get that. But I also realize that if you watch our first episode, that type one diabetes still has to be controlled with diet. I get it. You need insulin as a type 1 diabetic. I understand that. But you don't need as much insulin as some of the healthcare system tells you. If you if you watch your diet and you watch your exercise and you monitor that well, you don't need as much insulin. And you don't need that fancy designer insulin that's $600 a month or whatever the prescription is or you know, you can get insulin over the counter. So, but that's how the free market works. You know, you have to do that yourself. So, with our radio show, I want to educate and empower patients that they are in control. And diabetes, type 2 diabetes is a great example how, you know, if a type 2 diabetic, the average type 2 diabetic in, the, in, in America, if they control, if they watched what they ate and they exercised and they were given the education to do those things, they wouldn't need medication. They wouldn't have to go to the doctor regularly. But there again, then all of a sudden, there's not a diagnosis code that a doctor or a clinic or a pharmacy can chase. So, you know, at our pharmacy and with our radio show, we want to educate and empower patients that they are in control of their own health care. And the best health insurance we have is not something that we can buy. It is how we take care of our bodies. It's not some premium. It's not some insurance that you can buy. It's how we take care of ourselves. That's the best health insurance we have. It sounds like an absolute fascinating show. So you've, you've won another listener here. And the name of that, uh, again, was Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, available on iTunes there. So let's talk a little bit more about the book uh, that you wrote. Um, I always enjoy talking to authors because 
they're the people who've taken the time to put their ideas and put their thoughts down on pages and uh, help spread the word that way, which I, I'm pretty sure people still read books uh, at this day and age and not just listening to podcasts all the time. So tell us a little bit about your book and uh, really what inspired you to write it and, and what's your goal with putting that together? Well, you know, let me tell you, thank you for, for that. Um, and yes, being an author is, is something I, I didn't really ever plan on doing, but you know, the book was, you know, I, I like to say 25 years in the thinking and five years in the making. It is, it is, even though it's a short book, it's, you know, only uh, 114 pages. So it's a quick read, um, download on Amazon. It's, it's, it's only available on Kindle Amazon right now. We're working at a, at a hard copy and hope to get it released later this year. Also have it in audio format. And yeah, people still do read books. In fact, the book for a while was a number one seller on Amazon. The Saturday after we released the book, um, there was 1,371 downloads in, on that Saturday. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was kind of nervous about it. I didn't know how it was going to go over. I thought I might have some, you know, a lot of, a lot of negativity over it. But I think people were looking for something like this. Because I'm surprised the people that have come out of the woodwork to support to support the project. Uh, and I just, over the last 25 years, just some of the things we've been talking about over the last few minutes, it's just, it's been frustrating for me, um, you know, to navigate as a healthcare provider that market. And I see my patients that would suffer in, in, in this health insurance driven industry in healthcare. And, and my wife and I would just take things for granted. We, we know how to navigate the system because we've been in the system, you know? So we wouldn't, we know how to navigate the system. Unfortunately, most patients didn't. So they didn't know that you could, you know, pick a different doctor or pick a different hospital or, you know, when a doctor says that you need this, that, or the other medication that you can say, well, wait a minute, why can't I get this medication that's less expensive or a different generic or, or, or something like that? A lot, we just took those things for granted. So we want to educate patients that, yeah, they are the driver of that. They are in charge. They are the consumer. So educate and empower is, is really what I wanted to do um, with that book and, and our radio show. And, it, and it's, been, it's just been wonderfully received. Great. I'm glad to hear that. And I know um, just looking at your book a little bit, you do offer up solutions uh, to fixing healthcare. And this leads us into our next segment. So a new segment to uh, this season of Healthcare Americana is what we're calling our crystal ball segment, where we ask our guests, uh, what's next in healthcare from their perspective? So Sean, obviously you're in the hot mm. seat here, gazing <laughs> in your crystal ball. Where do you, where does your company, and where's the industry go from here? Well, I, I think one thing is, is, empowered patients, just like I just said, and I can't reiterate that enough. Patients need to be empowered so they can be in charge. Now, ultimately, when that happens, they are going to have to make decisions for themselves um, that traditionally in, in healthcare, they might not have done. So first of all, when patients are empowered, they should be in charge of their own health. When they're in charge of their own health, they're not going to need a lot of healthcare, healthcare per se. Now, you know, we could define, you know, we talked about it earlier, but healthcare versus sick care. But if they take care of themselves, they're not going to have to have a lot of healthcare necessarily, at least not a lot of sick care. I mean, you look at the disease states in this country that are rampant, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, and those are all lifestyle changing diseases that you can change by changing your lifestyle. Now, mm -hmm. in our healthcare system, because we chase diagnosis codes, 
we prescribe another medication for that. When in reality, if we take the time as healthcare providers to educate and empower our patients, they wouldn't need those medications. So largely, I mean, there are exceptions to that. So I think that's the first thing is, is to educate patients about that. And then educate patients that, you know, there are doctors, hospitals, clinics out there that aren't accessories to the crime. So when I say that, I mean, there are doctors and clinics out there that are cash only. There's a, and there's a lot more of those. And I think it's the future. You know, I've been surprised, really surprised how many, you know, DPC or direct primary care physicians there are across the nation. I, you would know these numbers better than I would, but I don't think there's an area because I live in a small town, rural Eastern Washington, and we can find them all around us. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking if that's the case here, where, where are they not? You know, um, and I see them on Facebook all the time in, in all kinds of communities. So I think that's a big future is those primary care doctors. And then there's specialists, you know, because you're always going to get the argument. Well, what about if somebody needs a surgery? Well, thank you, Dr. Keith Smith, for starting the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. Because, I mean, he has revolutionized the industry. Everywhere we go, we were at an event last night in um, Tacoma, and people had heard of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. He has revolutionized the industry, and he's really went out on a limb to do that. And it could have cost him a lot. And I so appreciate doctors like him um, that are entrepreneurs and just free thinking and want to ultimately, you know, do what's best for their patient. And one of those things is, is that what, do- what some doctors don't realize is that when you take the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm, you know, that includes financial. So when, you know, one hospital charges 40000 and the Surgery Center of Oklahoma charges 4000 and you send your patient to the hospital that charges 40000 you know, you, you got to think about that. I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll let our, I'll let our viewers and listeners think about, you know, what, what that means. And then, so we need to change patients' mindset that they can drive that. They can use cash physicians and healthcare providers and their consumers. So, you know, price shop. Most medical procedures are price shoppable. I mean, do it, uh, you know, price shop and price shop pharmacies, price shop doctors, price shop um, surgeries. And I really, I really do promote that. And where it gets a little bit tougher is when you go down, in my book, I talk about a six-step solution. And when you go down that cascade, you know, the last two steps are are a little more difficult because they involve state and federal government. The sixth one involves the state government. The seventh one involves the uh, federal government. And basically, you know, ultimately, we have to get the government out of healthcare. You know, the title of my book says it. I believe the government's what ruined it. I still believe, I believe strongly in that. And if you read my book, you will look at the specific steps the government took that really, really went down the road to ruining our healthcare system. So they've got to get out. Um, sure. As much as there's been talk since whenever about the price of healthcare and, and you know, how the government's going to fix it, they're not going to fix it. And they, and they can't fix it. The government can't fix those problems. They're the ones that caused it. They're not going to fix it. Ultimately, we have to get them out. That's a big step. You know, repealing Medicare, I mean, the government's created a big voting block with the Medicare population, and they've also created a big industry with, the med- with Medicare. So there's a lot of hospitals, there's a lot of doctors that are accessories to the crime, in a sense, and they might say they want it to go away, but do they really want it to go away? Because they're really still accessories to the crime, and that's how them and their whole clinic makes a big living. Right. There's a lot of money in there. So it sounds like empowerment. 
education and the forces of a free market can go a long way towards the growth of what you're doing here and the growth of what we're trying to do and really trying to make a positive change on this, uh, on this industry. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think in almost everything, including healthcare, the free market is what solves problems. And you let consumers vote with their pocketbooks and vote with their feet and the free market will largely fix it, but you have to let it work. Absolutely. Sean, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. You're welcome, Chris. Thank you so much. Wish you the best of luck and look forward to following your success. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Healthcare Americana is powered by Freedom HealthWorks, editing provided by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. I'm Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. And hey, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, let us know that too. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.